0: Welcome to Talking Volleyball. I'm Steve Hammond. B.J. Leroy and I have weekly conversations with coaches and others who are passionate about volleyball and interested in learning better ways to teach the sport. In this episode, we explore reasons that coaches use punishment and consequences in their coaching. We are joined by Heidi Anderson, John Kessel, David Cordes, and Lauren Anderson, who share their thoughts, experiences, and learnings. Okay, so if you're here with us today, we are experimenting like crazy. Um, And so Lauren is with us through Zoom, and Heidi's with us through our normal platform. And uh, we've got a couple other folks invited, uh, and uh, they may be having problems too. We're finding our our main platform for whatever reason, every time Lauren tried to get in, he froze. It was a very nice shot of you, but... (laughs)
1: Normally, it's Heidi and me doing the freezing, but we're, yeah. we're experiencing yeah. a little bit of warmth.
0: Yeah. So where in the world is Lauren Anderson?
2: Sorry, I you guys cut out just a little bit. To tell me what you just where said are you? before you said my name. <laughs> where am I? I'm in a Best Buy parking lot in Boise, Idaho.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what could be better?
2: Yeah, Back to I, Idaho. Um, my, yeah, I'm back in Idaho um, after almost six months of travel. Um, I'm just here and I'm, I'm in Boise for just a couple of weeks. And then I'm headed up into the mountains of central Idaho. Um, but I, uh, my trailer, where my trailer is currently parked and where I'm living for these two weeks, there is pretty much no cell signal or Wi-Fi of any kind. So I had to drive into town to, and I was going to stop at a coffee shop and uh they are closed so i'm sitting in the parking lot instead that sounds like
1: a little bit of a country solution
2: yeah yeah you know it's uh (laughs) been my it's been my life for the last five and a half months so that's awesome
1: so um lauren's been on before we know a little bit about him heidi tell us tell us uh A little bit about you before we get into this punishment uh, uh, discussion.
3: Sure, Um, I'm up in Northern Minnesota. I'm an elementary physical education teacher. I work with first through fourth graders. Um, I coach high school volleyball. This is my 18th or 19th season. Um, I work with club volleyball kind of all levels from beginners all the way up through um, high school and starting to work with boys a little bit as we're working on our boys program here so that's
1: that's the topic when you come on I mean there's a hundred topics that we could discuss with you but the topic I think the coolest one uh, to discuss will be the differences you find between newcomer boys and um, somewhat experienced uh, girls that are going to be about the same age. It, that'll be fun to, to dive into.
3: Yeah. I've just, we've gotten to work. We've just had a few practices and my assistant coach is really working on the boys effort here in Minnesota. We're trying to get it sanctioned. Um, and I haven't, I'm not running their practices, but I'm helping in any way I can. And, and I obviously have a lot of boys that come through our school program or elementary that I have that come watch our teams and the interest is there. It's just trying to continue to find coaches and supports to build it. And um, that's cool. I have three kids of my own that I coach. So I have a. 13 or 12 year old, almost 13, uh, 11 year old, and then my son is almost eight. So he's interested in playing too. And I coach both of the girls teams and I'm sure I'll be working with Eli too.
1: I know that Green Bay has, uh, has your kids on their recruiting list for four or five years from now, (laughs) so we'll, uh, (laughs) we'll see how that goes. (laughs)
3: <laughs> we we keep getting questions Our, my 12s team I was telling you about is really talented but they're really tall my daughter who just turned 11 is like 5'7 or 5'6 and a half and so we have a lot of parents whispering in the bleachers like are they really only 6th graders and I said actually we got a couple 5th graders on the team too <laughs> but they just are a, kind of a fun group that like they have a high volleyball IQ and they are competitive, but they just kind of buy in. Um, So you just have to show them like we did the loser becomes the net the other day in practice. You only have to show them one time. And then at the tournament, you know, you get two minutes of shared time. And it's like, we're going to do loser becomes the net. So they love it.
1: That's awesome. Lauren, how are you getting your volleyball fixed nowadays? What are you doing?
2: uh I played for the first time in five months two days ago still not really walking straight after that but uh (laughs) um yeah not a lot I mean I, I guess my big thing right now is the current project I've decided to work on um more of an online thing that will fit into what I'm doing with my life a little bit and give me a chance to do something regarding volleyball, even when I'm in the middle of nowhere of central Idaho for the next five and a half months, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, that looked like a neat project. Um, And I've already submitted my survey, so I I can't wait to see where that goes
2: for you. That'll, That'll be neat. Yeah, we'll see. It's I'm excited about it. In my travels across the u s over the last six months, I talked to a lot of parents um about the idea, and all of them felt it was a necessary resource for them, like you know being able to have some sort of just a little bit of advice about what they can do to help their kids because that's what every parent uh, every, every parent wants to be able to help their kids because they love them. And if they, but a lot of them don't know what to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, it's tricky.
1: We could spend a whole, there's another uh, episode that we could do is just how to work with parents and, and, uh, figuring out that, how to figure out they aren't the enemy and how to use them as a resource rather than a, uh, Rather than a speed bump, you know, yeah, I just
0: Steve, I found that a lot of in? coaches
2: want to tell parents, Hey, your job is to bring your kid to practice, drop them off, and let me do my job. And that's just so unrealistic that you no know, wonder a lot of coaches get frustrated because, and parents get frustrated because that's just an unrealistic expectation. Parents see the kids more than the coaches do, hopefully and uh and the, they're their parents they love them they want to help them and sure we're not going to say like we don't want you to bulldoze the path we don't want you to be a helicopter parent but here's uh here's things you can do that are very good for you and your kid and the relationship between you and your coach and i just think a lot of people a lot of coaches myself included for many years, messed up. Uh, by not by by not uh, recognizing the value of incorporating the parent in the process.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, and maybe I'll maybe Heidi can speak just a little bit more about that, but I mean they're a resource. There's a lot there.
3: Yeah, and I think I'm learning a lot. I have both my daughter's teams this year, so I'm learning a lot from the parent perspective and just the kids, you know, like what they need support with. And then I think it's been very helpful. Like they will share, like, I'm so nervous about playing this team and like hearing that from my own kid. And then what would I say to my own kid who is feeling nervous about playing, but a lot of other parents don't have that same perspective. So I think they're doing the best, you know, with what they have. And I think my first reaction was like, you can't say that out loud in front of your team, then they're going to be nervous. But then I said, I'm glad you shared that because if I didn't have a kid on the team, maybe one of the players doesn't feel comfortable saying that. And then we can kind of address it as a group. And we usually do a preseason meeting for our club and we didn't do one of those this year. And I'm finding myself with a lot of new players and parents. And I'm doing a lot more reactive, um, having to explain things that, you know, just uh, they're drinking bubblers and caffeine and they're coming in with McDonald's food. And and I have had a lot of kids that have played a lot of club and now I have all these new ones and it's like, ah, you, you know, maybe that's not the best way to prepare for a tournament, but we didn't, you know, go over any of that. And so if you think back to the first time they play a club tournament, there's a break and they think, Oh, I'm going to run out and get some food. And, <laughs> um, so Lauren, I got to find your survey, but I have a few ideas for you working with a lot of new families this year, but it's been a good experience and I think they're doing the best they can. Um, kids don't come with a manual. So,
2: <laughs> well, that yeah, I agree. I will hit you up, Heidi. we I'd love to hear your ideas as far as what you have, what you've learned from what you're doing.
1: Hi, John. And now we have all kinds of people adding. Looks like we got David Cortez, and we got some other old retired gray haired guy who I don't even recognize.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> How you doing John and David? doing well. Good to, good to see your faces. Um, so I sent out this note to everybody. We had in volleyball coaches and trainers, the, the coaches group that we're all a part of, we three or four times this week we had the the, uh, the the topic of consequences which are really punishments come up and and uh, people asking are they necessary or how do we use them or what's the way that you that you uh, you know discipline your kids and and I know all of your I don't know all of your thoughts but I, I know each of you has some, opinions and, and beliefs about, uh, about using punishment as a means to, to uh, to, uh, train, um, let's, let's just start with a definition. I mean, Heidi, maybe you're the best one to answer this just because you, you've studied this more than the rest of us. What are we talking about? when we mean a physical punishment? Like what, what is it, how is it that coaches, you know, what what is punishment? Uh, how does it manifest itself in the gym?
3: That's funny. I was Googling what the definition is because I think people this morning, I think people sometimes mix up reinforcements, consequences, punishment, and I'm not sure that I know the exact definition, but I think what we're looking for is that People want to see a change in behavior, right? So they're either like trying to add something, like doing push-ups or running a sprint, or or they're trying to take something away, like playing time or um, you know their position or a spot on a team. So I think what we're looking for is that we want to see change in behavior. Is that? or to try to, you know, keep something, you know, players not going after a ball. We don't want to continue to see that behavior. So we are going to have a punishment, like making them run or do push-ups, or dive or do rolls or whatever the punishment is. Cause we want to see them do something different, dig a ball, pass a ball. Um, is that yeah
1: David David was the one that really solidified this for me? He wrote in VCT, he wrote a a, a post, I don't know, it's probably six or seven years ago now, the difference between punishments and consequences. Uh David, what what was do you remember that? I'm sure you remember writing it. What was your basic premise?
4: Um basic premise was punished for me, punishments is something. The coach adds on that's not a natural consequence of the actions. You know, it's just, you know, kid shows up for late for practice. The natural consequence is you missed part of practice. You're disrupting us. You got to jump in now. You You know, if I make you run three laps because you're three minutes late, well, that's the punishment. You know, the natural consequence is you're behind, you're disrupting your team and stuff like that. You know, jump in here, get up, caught up to speed as fast as you can with what we're doing and get on with it you know there you know there doesn't have to be a punishment for that you know as long as they start understanding the consequence of what they did you know and that's kind of our jobs coach is teach them these are the consequences of your actions you know when you when you you know show up late or you don't show up on time and stuff these are the consequences this is the price everyone else is paying for you being late and stuff you know ends up and now let's get back into what we're doing where i push more for trying to let the consequences be take effect you know so stuff you know everybody's going do you punish somebody for missing a serve it's like well they just lost a point isn't that enough punishment
1: <laughs> yeah why is that such a natural go-to i'll just open that up for anybody why is it that coaches and we've all done it i'm certain i know i did and i know i've, I've heard david and steve and everybody when we started maybe not Heidi because she knew better but
2: um, why is it that we resort to that control I think it just comes down to control we're in a situation that we don't have control and the only way that we can insert our control or one way the easy way I mean I, I people give me flack for this all the time but I relate it to my dogs I mean there's ways there's different ways to train a dog but the easiest way and the way that most people train a dog is through punishment goes to the bathroom on the floor you punish it now it's so afraid of the punishment it won't do the action anymore that's control it's it's about it's a quick easy way to control another living organism and but what people don't understand is the long term effects that it has
0: You know, I think there's an element of what we have seen before. It's, you know, I've spent a lot of time unlearning it, but I've got a young coach. He's really good, uh, really good. Uh, In fact, he's coming back your way uh, back to Colorado shortly. I'm losing him to uh, go back home. But uh 21 year old, just turned 21, just awesome. But I, the other day he was getting frustrated with the guys and was like, there's gotta be a consequence for this. And I'm just sitting there going, yes, but what happens w- when we do this? What what effect does it have on the entire team, you know? And, and uh, I, you know, this situation I'm in now with a school where we're just really, we got a lot of first year players, a lot of kids, I've got a kid two two kids in a family that I don't really know exactly how the dynamic works cuz they're no same last names. All you know, the usual kind of stuff where you're kind of like I'm not sure who belongs to who here, but they're in the same household. One of them is constantly working, doing chores and working a job and he's at practice 20% of the time. And the other one uh, is at practice 50 60 percent of the time but is academically ineligible probably won't ever play this year um what do you do do you kick them out do you tell them no it's like we still may be the best part of their day so you know punishment doesn't work there for me at least
3: i think Go ahead. Kind of I Go. On the coach in the situation i think like um, Lauren said, I think some coaches are punishing th- for control. I think I have the same word that Steve did frustration. I see a lot, um, just having a lack of skills of what to do when they see their athletes erring or making a mistake, or you didn't clean the bus or, you know, not knowing how to deal with the situation, something triggers you know we missed a serve we hit the ball in the net we aren't focused and it's not having a plan it's not having skills of how to teach it they get frustrated and then they resort to punishment and certainly some of that can come from that's how my coach dealt with it um i think when they do the punishment they see an improvement um in their effort, in their focus, in their working hard and then think it works. But I think it's something is triggering, they're frustrating, they're frustrated and the easy solution is run or punishment or do it my way. Instead of looking at like, what what can I as the coach do differently? How can I put my drills together in a better order? How can I keep the interest of my team? um they don't look at that themselves they look at it as i have to do something to somebody else
4: yeah i <clears throat> I, think- I like lauren's oh, no go ahead Dave. i like i like lauren's you know they're, they're looking for control and stuff the word i've always used is you know when you start punishing are you looking for growth or development in your players or are you looking for obedience are they doing what you're telling them to do (laughs) and stuff and the way you're telling them to do that. And like Heidi said, punishment gets fast results. You see quick results. Things change really fast, but in the long term, meaning a week or two later or years later, are they really learning what they need to learn? I mean, are they becoming better volleyball players for the sake of becoming better volleyball players, or are they getting better at a skill to avoid being punished for it? for for not doing it and you know it's just the punishment i i'm, I'm willing to give up that that immediate quick easy see, uh, well, i saw some results it's great and stuff and i would rather go for the long-term growth of developing good players who do the right things because it's the right thing to do not because they're afraid of what you're going to do to them if they don't
1: <laughs> i think it was i'm fairly certain it was john that uh, of course, being the storyteller that he is, made an analogy to classroom teachers and punishment. Uh, John, do you recall that, or or have I given you enough of a prompt there? To...
5: Yeah, I think that uh, you know with everybody on here, we've got a pretty core why we coach philosophy well developed and. The same would go for I think all of these teachers that she's got in her schools and stuff she you know she works with. Why do you coach? Why do you teach? And in a good teacher in first grade, after you misspelled hat, they're not making you do push-ups or any sort of physical punishment. And I think one of the things that a young coach like your 21-year-old coach, Steve, needs to, to understand big picture-wise is, is you're probably being fooled by regression in the mean. And you know that article I've shared with all of you, it impacted me greatly 35 years ago or so, or 40 years ago. Now. Um, it's just that because we see that that change in success after they perform poorly in something we think that it's working when in reality it's not and i you know i i wrote a blog a long time ago called coaching the human animal because all the amazing things that non-human living organisms do come from reward not from punishment and you see in those animals including dogs that the trust and the bond the why you coach to you know why you have a dog why you teach is negatively impacted by the threat of some sort of punishment and you know i i I just wanna to say to any of those coaches that make them do win sprints at timeouts or losing a game and then they make them do all this physical corporal punishment. You know, you're just getting fooled by randomness to if at all, to think that this is changing their behavior. You coach to change behavior. And you are apparently punishing to change behavior and and I I know you're fooling yourself, pure and simple.
2: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll second and third those comments. I think it's really, uh, you know, comes down to that idea of what David said. Do we, are we more concerned with them obeying us than we are about them learning? And through since actions speak louder than words, I would say a lot of coaches are more concerned with people obeying them than learning because that's the way the coaches act. They're happier when a player does what they're told than does than letting them do whatever needs to be done in the process of learning. Um, we're gonna make mistakes. we're gonna and you know I, I've been in so many gyms in the last six months where they say, we understand mistakes are necessary we have to you know mistakes are part of the process train ugly all these buzzwords that are important but then you watch the way that these coaches interact with their players and it's very clear to me and to the players that mistakes aren't really allowed and they are there is punishment for it and I don't think I don't think punishment when we say punishment is, not a great aspect of the learning process. I don't think we should limit that to physical punishment. I think there are, there's many other ways that coaches punish players that can actually be more destructive, you know, getting on a player in the, in front of all of their peers for a mistake that they made during practice can have devastating consequences for that player in the moment. And in the long run, I mean, there's just so much evidence now talking about the, the trauma <laughs> that the brain can be can, can, can affect the brain for such a long period of time. I think it's, it's really important that we as coaches recognize what role we play in that.
0: So we got a question on, on, uh, in the chat here from Steve. So he's talking about a player who's got a lack of effort, but Let's but the ball drop, is doing coach one-on-one mimicking the drop ball with that player considering considered a punishment. Lauren, I think you just hit it.
2: Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Um, it just came out. <laughs> um, um, yeah, if you want me to answer that, I would say um, – yes it's considered a punishment and no it's not a providing a learning environment those i mean so you you've basically taken away every opportunity to learn for that player and what you've done instead is created a rehearsed environment in which their their only thing they're learning is how to obey what you're telling them to do
1: yeah i think that's Lord, the biggest Lord. thing Lord is that you've taken them now out of the environment where they needed to get that ball. Now it's one-on-one. So they know every ball is theirs where oftentimes the ball that drops falls in because they weren't sure it was theirs. It's, it's, uh, it, it could be as simple as that. Whose ball was that? Oh, we're counting on you. And that, and John, you were going to say something I mean- about that too.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point in our sport, that the number one skill is reading. And I would argue, you know, Cody just qualified for the finals. They won uh, in the Bundesliga, so they're in the, the, the grand finals. And I watched these mistakes being made by these highly paid professionals and thought every single mistake I saw was not on purpose. It was done out of being in the wrong place at the wrong time or a slight misjudgment or a slight misread of the set or a setting fault that that was not done on purpose. And you know I'm down on air with all these kids seeing thousands of mistakes. And it's like there isn't a single kid here that is making a mistake on purpose. So why are you treating them as, you know, verbally or physically as if they are? And why have you stopped coaching? And I think it's because really great teachers do one thing. And to have a chemistry professor do a physical punishment, you know, you'd think this guy's whacked or you got to get rid of this professor. He, you know, he, he doesn't know how to teach. And yet you bring it into the gym and it's okay. And I am totally, you know, agree with the concept of the consequences is that you hit it out and you lost that game. And so now you're going to have to play a fourth set. That's plenty of consequence for anybody that's playing with any heart and soul on a, on a team sport. And I, I just, I can't, I understand where the culture came from and I understand that there's football coaches that may think, you know, develops man and whatever, but the greatest teams, you know, you, that you're seeing now, you don't see coaches that are doing that form of, of traditional punishment. Instead they're catching their athletes being good and, and all those other things that we all know in want to see happen more
2: and one one thing that fascinates think, me is that the culture where probably this whole idea started I, I would guess is military and even the military has moved away from this model they are no longer punishing their soldiers you know you get somebody like the navy seals or the army rangers or some of these incredibly talented soldiers in their fields and you know they they it is life and death for them which is something that volleyball is not nor will ever be and yet what they're moving to now is models in which you don't see this severe forms of punishment yes they have very hard physical activities they have to do because that's part of their job but they don't they're they're not being punished in the classic way that they used to be and it because the 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 military, the different branches of the military, have recognized that that stop that that decreases motivation and decreases the rate of learning. And so, if they're learning, if they're applying this for the military, why are why are so many sports coaches still holding on to it? That's just what it that it it fascinates me, it depresses me, it frustrates me, all in the same time.
3: I think along with. the reading pieces, making decisions and kind of what you were saying in the military, I think they're moving more from a do it this way because you're following my command to needing people who are on the front lines or in a battle having to make decisions. Um, and I think that's something that I see even at the 12th level as our day progresses and as our competition gets better in playoffs, you know, game's moving a little faster um decisions have to be made quicker since you start to see some of those things break down you know so along with reading it's also having to make a decision um and i and i think um this question in the chat the piece that you know i kind of wanted to talk more about was when they're giving a lack of effort or they're having a lack of focus i think to me that um maybe a different kind of mistake than a, um, like a reading error or a, a decision-making error. Because I do think you see, you know, what about the player who's not giving any effort? What about the player who's not focused? How do you um, deal with that part? Not just the player who's taking balls because they're deciding at the last they should take it or it's in. Um, is there a difference in how you treat a kid who has the effort state as opposed to like a physical error? Well, I'll say this,
2: that the only time I would ever think of having a consequence for a player based on my perceived, my perception that they were giving less effort would be if I could measure and know that they were giving less effort. I do not want to punish a kid based on my bias and my incorrect perception of their effort level or of their focus level. Maybe they're 100% focused to them, but I'm perceiving it wrong. And then I punish them. What does that do to that kid? What does that say to that kid? No matter what I do, I'm going to get punished. If that kid comes out and is in their mind, giving 100% effort, And I perceive it as less effort than what I want. What what message does that send to that kid if I punish them? That no matter what they do, they're going to get punished. So why why try hard? I'm going to get punished anyway. So unless I can find a way, which I have not yet to 100% measure and know factually whether someone is giving effort or focus, I'm not going to punish a kid for those things either.
1: Do any of you feel like, uh, this has been my belief since we quit doing this, I don't know, 25 years ago, we, we quit the punishment thing. Um, but do any of you feel like it just allows the player to immediately get off the hook? Like I, the ball dropped, I did my five pushups, and now it's over. Um, it, it feels to me like it takes the focus off of the winning and losing. You guys feel that way, or do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, I I agree. I think it's because when you when you punish, you have to continually amp up the punishments for it to have any kind of effect in the long term. And so if a player has to do five push ups for missing a dig the first few times, the first week, the first month, maybe they're Really trying to go for the dig because they don't want to do the five push ups. But over time, those five push ups just become norm. And you know what? I, I didn't go for the dig. Oh, well, you know, before the coach even says anything, the player's off on the sideline doing their push ups. And that's when it, to me, it becomes, it's no longer affecting change. It's no longer somewhere in that kid's body and their mind and their being it's no longer even a punishment it's just part of practice and so it is getting them off the hook they don't I mean I've seen kids deliberately not do something on a court so that they could be pulled out of a game because they knew it was coming I've seen kids deliberately do things they knew they were going to get punished for because the punishment was actually more enjoyable to them than the thing they were doing you know I don't I'm not having fun playing because my coach continually yells at me and is threatening me so I'm going to do something that I know is going to make the coach pull me out of the game so that I can sit on the bench and not have to deal with the stress so I, I I do think there is that factor in it BJ I don't think it's true of everyone but I definitely have seen it
1: so what else can we do what else do we do? How do we handle it?
0: Well, I had one this week where you kind of have to be, you know, tune yourself into it. So for uh, all of us are at different points on that spectrum. I'm on the spectrum where I'll react occasionally. And I reacted. I had a, I was introducing another defense and my libero decided to come over while we were trying to introduce this. And we'd spent maybe 15 minutes on it and said, I, don't, I really don't think this is going to work. We This isn't, you know, and just gave me all this stuff. And I, I just looked at him and said, okay, look, one, you're not the coach. Two, you've been doing this for 15 minutes. Go do it. And, you know, that was very directive. And, you know, I caught myself a little later, and I, I took him aside, and I said, look, I owe you an apology. That's not the way I should act when I'm trying to explain that to you. Uh, and interestingly enough, kid was is pretty emotionally intelligent he kind of came back the next day and said i'm sorry i reacted that way i actually think it might work so we kind of negotiated our way through that but we were both human in the process the, the question is are you open to learning from that and going okay that didn't really work the way i was intending it to work and maybe i need to take a different approach
2: well i'm going to say uh yeah, go ahead, uh, go, Lawrence. Well, I'm just going to say that I think what we to answer your question, what do we do? So, you know, we can't just coaches who typically use punishment as part of their training process. They just they can't just stop punishment and then and not have anything to fill in that with. Um, I mean, they probably could, and it'd be fine, but the coach would feel like there's still something they need to do. Um, so in, you know, in the rise gym that I'm no longer there, but I know they continue to do this is it's just cultivating a love of the game. That's it. You know, I, I can't remember which I, I can see his face. I can't think of his name, but there's a, a golf coach in the United kingdom who also does some mental strength and mental performance work and stuff. And, he has a saying that really rocked my world when I first heard it. And I now become a huge believer of it. And that is that these things that we see as a coach or as a spectator, like discipline, like hard work, motivation, all of those are just love of the game seen from a third person perspective. And so if we want a kid to be more motivated, if we want a kid to work harder, if we want a kid to be more focused, Um, help them love the game cultivate a love of the game and if you have those circumstances that are more one-offs where people typically punish where you know a kid doesn't go for a ball or kid misses their serve or makes the wrong decision in a game setter sets the worst hitter on game point whatever it might be um, have conversations with them rather than punish them have have conversations or ask them some really great questions you know i my dad taught me when i was young that saying of if you don't like the answer ask a different question well what the player is doing out on the court is an answer to the problems that the game is posing them so if we don't like the answer that they're giving ask a different question or create a game that asks a better question so that they can then explore new answers rather than punish them. I just, I'm guilty of punishing kids for a good portion of my coaching career, but it never felt good. It never felt right. I did it because it's what I thought we were supposed to do as coaches. Um, It never felt right. And then when certain unnamed white haired white shirt striped (laughs) men, uh, uh, gave me the permission to really look into that idea and realize that it it didn't feel good because it wasn't right. It wasn't necessary. And we could find better ways. I mean, obviously now I'm, I, I don't, you know, what do we do different? We cultivate a love of the game and we treat each kid in our gym as an individual and have conversations with them about where they're at. And I think that's it.
5: That's it. And I got to say, Lauren, not only have you you know, become a much, much, much stronger coach, but you're, the group here is doing a lot of really important work of teaching what we've learned to others and, and, you know, by that, we learn it even better. I mean, Heidi's doing it all the time, all over her friggin' state, I think. And BJ is, too. And and I, I just – I can't say enough that the whole point is to give them a love of the game, like your golf guy said or whatever. I mean, um, if I did it once, I did it a thousand times after a tournament – kids in the car and all I said was I love to watch you play and I still say that to Cody even though he's a professional and that whole foundation of love kind of is why Lauren you're succeeding in understanding I think well how we want to motivationally interview these kids how we want to by their discovery of stuff that we know that they don't know yet and that isn't punishment but that is a dialogue that takes longer and I understand that it just takes longer but it's worth it because then those athletes hopefully are playing in the uh, 80 and over national championships in another you know, 60 years because they have that love of the game
1: Yeah,
4: David, you I, were saying with... something before. I, I come into saying I talk to ask a lot of coaches, you know, the two questions I asked them the one, do you want to spend the limited time you have with these kids punishing them or helping them learn and grow and become better athletes? You know, you got to decide which one do you want to do because. I do think they are mutually exclusive. You can't do both. <laughs> they don't happen both. And the other thing I got from, you know, Julio Valesco in, in Colorado Springs, several years ago, he made the comment of, you've got to know your team, not the team you think you want them to be. You got to know your team. Ask these coaches, do you know, what is your goal for this team? You know, is your goal, you know, there's a a lot of people, you know, in the club world that said, well, our goal is to go to nationals and win a national championship. And it's like, realistically, what are your chances of that happening? You know, you look Southern California and every age group, there's a couple hundred teams and two or three of them get to go to nationals. And of them, even less have a chance of winning. What is realistically your goal for that team? If you're all here To win a national championship, most of you are going to fail. No majority of them are going to fail. So what is your team? What is your goal for that team that you can be successful at, that you can do for them? And number one is teach them to love the game. Teach them to love playing. Teach them how to be volleyball players, how to be athletes and stuff and you know if you land up you know lightning strikes and you land with that right mix of genetic talent and those kids and everything and you can get to nationals you can win a fantastic go for that but not you know 99 of the coaches and the teams out there that's not a realistic expectation it's not a realistic goal you gotta you know find out what's what's the goal for that team what is the best thing you can do for that team teach those 9 10 girls to be the best teammates the best players they can win as many games as they can what they're doing and love each other and love playing the game while they're doing it you know and just and coaches have a hard time with that you know i see a lot of these high school coaches man we're gonna win state we're gonna win state we're gonna win state it's like you know okay how, how how many teams in your conference in your divisions in your level of state are there realistically you know why are you going to sacrifice an entire season for a goal that you really have almost no chance of achieving? You just don't have the players. You don't have the the, the, the school. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, like I said, you know, I said before, just genetic talent that if you don't got it, you can't teach it. <laughs> you know, I, as much as I love my five foot, seven inch tall outside hitters, I can't teach them to play like they're six, <laughs> three,
2: Yeah. I, and I, David, I, I'll add one thing. Well, two things to that. One being that while we're trying to teach these athletes to be, to love the game and to love their teammates, we should also be teaching them how to be amazing human beings. And if we're not, we've wasted our time with them. We've wasted their time with us. And two, when these coaches are proclaiming their goals I'm going to go to nationals. We're going to win state. I always say, okay, now I know your goal, but what's your player's goal? Like, I don't care what you want. This should not be about you. <laughs> I want to know what your players want. Does Do the 12 girls on your high school varsity team really all want to go to go and win state? Or do only three of them? Because if only three of them want it, you're not going. No matter how much you as the coach want it. And that's where I, I don't know, what something you said there made me really latch on to that idea that we we'll recognize the fact that that's where I see a lot of coaches really use punishment is when their goals and their players' goals are different. And that leads to the frustration. You know, the coach believes this team has the ability to go to nationals, but the players aren't living up to that in their, in the coach's mind. So then out comes the frustration, out comes the reactionary coaching. And I think if coaches can just do a better job of sitting, sitting back and not imposing their goals on the players and letting the players lead it, there's going to be a lot less frustration. There's going to be a lot less of that triggering that brings out that desire or that whatever to punish instead. It's about, it really should be about the kids and we're just here to, facilitate we're not here to do anything more than that like valesco said you've got to know your team
0: yeah yeah and even with that uh you know i've got i've got a situation like that uh that's that's apart from the coaching part i have a couple of guys who are really competitive want to compete on a team that's predominantly guys who just want to have fun and just want to play and don't really want to, you know, work on, on technique as much. And, and you can see the, the friction starting. And we actually had, uh, and this is, this is a credit to my, my young assistant coach who's old beyond his years, he mediated a discussion with them. I, I kind of came in and said, "Here's my goal. My goal is you three guys. If you don't get along, we're going to have a problem for the rest of the season because it's going to disrupt the team. You guys got to figure this out." And I said, "And I'm leaving, and I'm letting him. <laughs> I'm going to let my assistant mediate this because he's good at that." Uh, and uh, you know, it, it it's I'm it's still there. The tension's still there, um, and it'll probably stay there because they do have goals that are different but i think at least now uh, they're at the point where uh, actually he said something to them uh we were in a really tough match my number one setter was out out sick and we would have you know we really had a good chance to beat the team we won- we won- lost in 5 and They were all exhausted at the end. But as we got a little frustrated towards the end, he just took these two guys who were really struggling with each other and said, you two for the rest of this match have to assume that the other guy does not exist. Just play. And, and it actually was, was a pretty good piece of advice at that time because they were getting into each other. It's like, nope, you just do your your thing and just ignore the other guy. Don't think about him. Just play. And, um, that's tough because you don't have control of it other than bringing things like mediating discussions and forcing the issue a little bit to have them, you know, at least talk it through. Um, if you've got any clever ideas over and above that, I'm all ears.
2: I'll give you one. I'll give you a resource. <laughs> uh, Mark Bennett, who's a coaching educator in Europe. Uh, he had a recent podcast. Um, it's on a rugby podcast. Um, and I'll send you the link because uh, Mark Mark Bennett, he's a, he's a genius when it comes to this kind of stuff, and he walked them through almost the exact situation you're talking about about how to take two or three stars, the superstars of a team, whose motivation is different, and how to how to bridge the gap between them and the rest of the team. And uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant what he what he suggested. And it was all led by the kids. It was – coach was barely involved at all. And just asking a couple of questions here and there. So I'll send that to you as soon as we're done. It was pretty awesome.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Lauren.
5: And I, I have to say to the, any young coach you listening to some of these – coach's palaver it's we're here sort of sharing some of our wisdom of the mistakes we made when we were young and this this need to have control um there's only as as Cortis was talking about i think it, it, there's only a 1% that are going to make, or 3% are going to make it to the college ranks um, from a high and school. To to
2: that's and that's in girls. That's in girls. It's side. even lower yeah. in boys.
5: And because of that, why do you coach? And, you know, as you guys know, my philosophy to any parent or why I'm here in Mon Air is I'm here to develop amazing leaders because of that it doesn't talk about winning and losing because that's out of my control. And because of that, I'm gonna do things that I know are gonna make better humans, um, but we might, have, we might lose something. And I was reflecting on when I coached Cody's team as a senior team, um, they're all seniors. And they wanted to go to prom the night before state playoffs. And I said, as far as I'm concerned, you guys, you know, prom, this senior year prom, is a big deal. Just be at the gym by 15 minutes earlier than usual so I can make sure you're all there and life is good and we can get ready for the playoffs. And, you know, I walked in at 7.15 in the morning and I had nine guys in tuxedos. They hadn't gotten out of their tuxedos, and they went in the locker room and changed. And, you know, win or lose, it doesn't matter. They had that chance to have that experience, and they could have voted and said, no, we're not going to go to prom. But they voted and said, we're going to go to prom, but we're going to be there on time. And, you know, it's still one of my more delightful, memorable moments see all those kids in tuxedos at 7.15 in the
1: morning in the gym. Just to lend a little bit more to the why um, on, the, on punishment. Um, and, and John's been really good about pointing us toward the medical profession over time because they, uh, doctors have to continue to study in order to stay up on things. Um, and, and how they're treating people. Both of these organizations have been against uh, physical punishments for, for children uh, for a long time, at least 15 years. It's the, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics and also probably an organization that Heidi is a part of, the Society for Health and Physical Educators, uh, SHAPE is the is the acronym both of those organized or those organizations the children's doctors and the children's educators have told us that punishment is is a is a poor way and maybe a detrimental way of working with kids why is that not enough for coaches just reading that why is that uh, why is that not enough for us to just say yeah wow or at least to dig into the research a little bit?
2: I think it's because a lot of people believe that teenagers are not kids. I think a lot of people think that a high schooler can be treated differently than an eight-year-old in this manner that yeah, sure. I get it. I'm coaching an, a, a, a a group of nine-year-olds in volleyball. I mean, it takes, I don't know. I can't even think of anybody that I know, even coaches that are like the most hardcore punishment oriented coaches. I can't think of any of them who would punish a group of nine-year-olds the way they do their older kids. Um, and so we, you know, when I first heard that those st- those statements by those two organizations, I recognized that, uh, you know, it what most people are going to equate that with is younger kids, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine year olds, and because for some reason we, there's not enough coaches out there who really understand the developing brain, and that the brain is not fully developed until we're in our early to mid 20s and so all these things that are affecting the development of the brain that come out of punishment are still able to affect the brain until we're in our mid late early to even late 20s in some cases and and so that's where i think that's where the hurdle's been for me because i've cited that many times with coaches hey, there's these two professional organizations that are made up of some pretty smart people who are saying, don't punish kids. Don't use physical punishment as a way to enforce anything with kids. And they're like, yeah, we get that. But these aren't kids. These are teenagers who are trying to go to college to play volleyball. They're still kids. They're, they, they might not look like a kid. I mean, the six foot three sophomore in high school who's got a beard isn't, maybe doesn't look like a kid to you, but his brain is still developing. And until the brain is no longer developing and is an adult brain, they are kids. Doesn't matter. Is We're not talking about their bodies. We're not talking about pre or post puberty. We're talking about the brain. That's what's affected by these punishments. And uh, that's where I think a lot of people don't grasp when it comes to hearing things like that. these organizations are against punishment. Is that they think it applies to little kids, and not really recognizing the fact that it applies? In my mind, it applies to college athletes too. I mean, I, I think if you're coaching college, you shouldn't be punishing. You shouldn't be using physical punishment um, because you're still dealing with a maturing, developing brain. So that's that's my thought. Well,
4: you know, you asked about. You know, why do we coaches? Why don't coaches, you know, read the studies, see that stuff? I started coaching because, and I didn't know anything. I was a punishing coach, came out there, you know, do this. And, you know, every time you failed this, give me two push ups, stuff like that. And I did that for four or five years until I ran into this Kessel guy at a meeting that pretty much, in the politest way possible, told me to stop being an idiot. <laughs> And pay attention. And, and until then, it never occurred to me that, you know, hey, let's go study. You know, I, I coached what I knew or what I'd seen. And what that was is what I'd seen on television, what I'd seen in movies, what I'd seen at a couple of the local volleyball games I went to at the high school where the coaches were yelling and screaming and punishing kids and stuff. And that's all I knew. I didn't know any better. I, I did not anybody talking. You know, I didn't. didn't You know, I didn't decide, oh, I'm a middle school coach now. I better go read a whole bunch of stuff and learn how to be a good coach. I went out and said, I got to teach them how to pass, how to pass, and, you know, punish the crap out of them until they do what I tell them to do. And I I think a lot of that is getting coaches to understand that, you know, there's this public perception of coaches. A lot of it's fostered by television, by movie. Could you imagine how interesting is a Hollywood movie going to be of some football coach who talks to his players and asks them what they're learning and what did you read on this? It's like that never yells, never makes anybody run sprints, never makes anybody carry another kid on his back for a hundred yards on his hands and knees and stuff. You know, nobody's going to want to watch that. Nobody's going to see it, but that's what we see. And everybody goes, well, look at this. It works. And it's like, well, yeah, because it's a movie, you know, the guys they are trying to influence also have a script they're reading and doing. And in real life, that stuff doesn't really work that way
1: <laughs> so yeah, nor point... does the
2: movie nor, nor does the movie follow the kid after yeah. to find out the to find out the ramifications of that kind of brutal coaching and find out that when that kid's 30 they're still suffering from trauma from that or they're treating other people that way and then and then continuing the cycle of trauma for the rest of their lives. You know, the movies don't stop, don't follow that. And that's the side of it that people don't see. Have we done enough
1: in this podcast and, and Heidi uh, give us your thought uh, in a second here. I'm, have we done enough? If we take this podcast and point it towards uh, somebody that's, that's using punishment, have we done enough here? Or do we need to do more?
2: More yeah. Heidi, what were you gonna say? Sorry.
3: <laughs> I could I could go anywhere. I, this. It, um, no, I, I wanted to, this. to mention because you've brought it up a couple times now, but the trauma, and I think something that we're looking at more in the schools is, you know, like we're working on being a trauma informed school. So what um you know, we kind of have to teach everybody who comes to the door and what they're coming with. And I think in the last few years that's just been amplified even more with COVID and distance learning and it's kind of meeting them where they're at. But I think a lot of teaching and coaching kind of relies on this shaming model of, you know we're gonna put them on the line in front of their peers and if they miss, they're gonna run. But um, I think it comes back to what I said at the beginning is we're trying to shape behavior and it's like, what does this kid What does this player, what does this student need from me right now? And what do we as coaches have control over? So if we're trying to get them to fall in love with the game, um, if we want them to get along with their peers, what are we doing to develop that environment? What are we doing with our practice plan to meet them where they're at? They're unfocused if they do have it's new defense they have a lot of new stuff to learn and they're frustrated with it what are what are we building in for our other activities to practice that are fun for them that they look forward to are we giving them skills to be a good teammate um I think it you know like how can we keep I wanted to share this book um I know Karch talked about it at one of the um that he you did, being kind of out the best in people. and I think for me as a teacher, it's, it's getting them close to the behavior that you want to see. So maybe the kid needs a break um, in my environment. Um, I mean, I have students that throw stuff. <laughs> and I have to find a way to, to teach them. Um, so how can you get, get closer? what it is that you want to see how can you positively reinforce um, something that they're doing. You don't always go from throwing stuff fully participating in a, in a class. How when they're making steps towards those behaviors that you do want to see, how can you get them doing it right?
0: Yeah Heidi, um, uh, it, it, just real oh, real ahead. quick. You've, Go ahead, Steve. Lean to your right when you're speaking. I think the, uh, okay. the microphone, yeah, it's yeah, for some reason. I think that works a little better. Um, but anyways, uh, sorry to interrupt.
2: Um, I was just going to say that uh, in answer to your question, BJ, have we done enough? I, I don't think we can. We've got six very unique people in this podcast who actually challenge their beliefs in the evidence in the in the presence of evidence that is not normal unfortunately in my experience in coaching or in life that when people are presented with evidence that shows what they're doing is wrong or destructive or not effective or efficient what do people typically do they don't go oh i'll go read some more on it i didn't (laughs) When John first, not in person, but through his blog first presented these ideas to me and I read them, I fought it. I fought it for years. So I I, I think the answer isn't, can we provide enough information to convince people to change? I don't think you get people to change with information. Um, again, something John is famous for saying is what's truer than true the story and i think that that is a big part of this we have to create a narrative that allows for that that elicits the change rather than tells people they have to change we have to create a story and i don't know how to do that i'm not a storyteller but i think that's what it comes down to is We can't just go and put these studies in front of people and say, look at this information. And based on this information, you should change what you're doing. That's a really good way to make sure that a lot of those people never read the information. I think we have to make sure that we have to find a different way. And I, again, I don't know what that is. I've struggled with it for 10 years. um, And I, I don't know the answer. The only thing I know is that I can affect one or two people in a year who i meet or who i know who are willing to to listen and to to do the their own educate to educate themselves but there's hundreds that don't so i don't know what the right answer there is but i don't think it's I think conversations like this are fun for me, and I think there are people who are going to listen to this conversation and find interest in it. but I think that there those people who listen to this conversation are probably already on the fence Someone the people we really need to change are not listening to this conversation. so how do we get them to listen to it?
0: I love the storytelling aspect of it, one because i I study that a bit, uh, but also. Um, you know, got me to think if I was to tell a story right now, I'd probably tell a story like what happened with the women's team and how Karch has taken a very different approach to building that team and defining roles and making it OK to be that player who comes off the bench for energy and, you know, fills in when when that that kid's, you know, not available yeah. to play uh, or injured or whatever. Um You know those kinds of stories to your point lauren are going to resonate with people more uh than um a uh, a lovely powerpoint deck that walks through all of the science behind this um so finding those stories and telling those stories can be something we i I think we do but we probably don't focus on enough and there might be an opportunity there
2: yeah i mean you mentioned the the fact that a lot of, I think David mentioned it, a lot of our current coaching practices are derived from aspects of our culture. You know, what we see on TV, what we see, what we read, um, what the person down the street from me does, what I experienced as I grew up. How do we, how do we change coaches? We change those things. We get a movie made about a coach who is a, who asks great questions and is calm the entire movie and gives over the power of leadership to his players. We, 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 we get more stories like that told so that people can see them and give it, give it weight, you know, Um, just as a reference to like the story idea, I don't know if you've seen or read the new book by uh, Billy Allen, um, his little uh, mental strength book that he, came out with it's a story of a young girl learning how to joust uh i mean it's brilliant he's a storyteller that's that's what we need more of in coaching is people who can take a simple story and tell a profound message through it that people are going to jive with and i think that's what this is you know um the the more of that we can get the 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 more change we'll see But again, you don't get, you don't get people to change by giving them facts. I I just don't think you do. I think you give them to change by hitting them in the, in the heart. Um, that's where we, that's where we need to focus more. I think
1: we're 15 minutes past our hour. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any last profound thoughts that they want to give. Uh, but, uh, thank you all for coming on and, uh, I'll leave it up to Steve to, to guide us out. Uh, but please give us your last thoughts if you have something else that's on your mind about this topic.
0: Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> Well, look, I, it's, I appreciate it. We, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, some of our platform work today. Um, we haven't used Zoom before, so thank you for being our first experiment and actually it worked reasonably well to bring it into this platform. And we've, we've been able to use both to advantage. And we'll do more of this sort of thing. Uh, I'm John, I uh, hope you're feeling better and uh, hope you're enjoying your time down there. Uh, and... Uh, we'll, we'll do more of these things. If you have topics that you want us to, anybody here or anybody listening, um, we'll put this out in a podcast, uh, as well for people who just like to listen to things. And, uh, we're, we're kind of building this as we go along. So every week's a work in progress and, uh, we, we made a lot of progress this week. So I hope you all, uh, have, uh, a good week and, uh, We'll see the rest of you viewers and people who are listening to this uh, next week. And Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Good to see you all. Thanks
0: for listening, and thanks to our guests for joining us today. We're live on YouTube almost weekly on Sunday mornings in the U.S. Check us out at the Coach Steve YouTube channel. We post links to our sessions on the Volleyball Coaches and Trainers Facebook group as well. See you next time.